0: And welcome
1: to the Hey, You Got This podcast. My name is Lizzie. And my name is Stacia. And we are your co-hosts in all things wellness weirdness. And today we are going to be talking about our June book club pick, which is Hood Feminism. Hoot, hoot. Yes. <laughs> I'm super excited to discuss what came up for me while reading this, some of the realizations, some important takeaways, and just open up that discussion on feminism, from a more inclusive intersectional place, as opposed to just what white feminism is. Yeah. And that's what we've been shown, at least for me, culturally, what the fight for with feminism that I see when it's centered around white people is not as inclusive or intersectional as it needs to be. And this book really does a great job of addressing that and also addressing where mainstream white feminism falls short. So yeah, very eye opening read. Totally. Yeah.
0: And before we get into it, Stacia made the very astute point that we should be telling you a little bit of information about our authors and our books for those of you who just happen to be popping in. So Mickey Kendall is an author, an activist, and a cultural critic, which I felt like the cultural critic aspect of just who she is as a person really shines through in this book. And her work often focuses on current events, media representation, the politics of food, and the history of the feminist movement. And Mickey has just... A super crazy story. She has a bunch of degrees. She's a veteran of the army and also Station, and I just really enjoyed her book. Station, do you want to tell us a little bit about the book? You had a really good synopsis of
1: it. Yeah. And again, we're so excited that you're listening to this episode. We think you will be able to take something away from it, whether you've read the book or not. So, so stay true. tuned. We have good stuff coming, even if you haven't read the book. <laughs> <laughs> but in case you haven't read the book or you're looking for a summary of it, I think that The author herself did that. And so I'm just going to read a quote from the book. And it's one of the biggest issues with mainstream feminist writing has been the way the idea of what constitutes a feminist issue is framed. We rarely talk about basic needs as a feminist issue. Food insecurity and access to quality education, safe neighborhoods, a living wage, and medical care are all feminist issues. Instead of a framework that focuses on helping women get basic needs met, all too often, the focus is not on survival, but on increasing privilege. For a movement that is meant to represent all women, it often centers on those who already have most of their needs met. After I read that, I was just like jaw drop and I'm like, oh my God, this is like so true. And yeah. when I think of it as kind of like a, either a ladder and as a white woman, I'm already like seven rungs up. And so when I think of the feminism as it's been taught to me, it's like, okay, we're trying to just surpass those final three rungs so that we have equal pay, so that we have access to appropriate care for our bodies as women. And uh, I just like, that's such a small piece of the pie. (laughs) And I'm like, we realize that there's all these rungs below us that we need to like reach our hand down and make sure we are bringing everybody up to the level that as opposed to that being the starting point. So I just really appreciated that analysis and her quote from the book was really helpful for me.
0: Yeah, something I was thinking about, and I'm excited to hear what you think about this, but I was realizing as I was reading the book that feminism is kind of funny in that like, you know, all of these other things through life, like maybe you learn about in school in kind of a structured way. And I don't know about you, Stacia, but I felt like I just kind of like came across feminism just sort of like randomly and then got into it on my own. And so it was very much like I was just learning what I was able to find or what I was looking for versus like other points of view, which is why I think this book was so good for us. But it's feminism. You don't and you know all sorts of other things in life you don't necessarily get like this really structured education on how it started and all of the issues with it and all of the different layers like I had just my own perspective of what feminism meant and was like this is great I've done a lot of reading on the internet Uh, you know and so I think that this book was so great for that and it was really a deep dive into feminism
1: yeah and I I would totally agree I'm the same way that it has always been kind of a frame and a lens from my privileged perspective, as a white female that grew up in a middle class neighborhood, like they say, one of the biggest factors for your success in life is your area code. And like, I know that growing up, I feel like anytime it was like women's rights, it was like already for women who have basic needs met and not realizing that there's this huge disparity of people that still need to get their basic needs met. Yeah. And that that's something that is definitely worth fighting for and advocating for and spending our privilege on helping that become a reality.
0: Yeah. And it's all of these things that we take for granted are feminist issues, which we will get into. So something that I thought just as we talk about all of these different layers of feminism and our own understanding of feminism, I wanted to pull a quote from the book that I thought kind of highlighted and introduced this well. It says we can't lean in when we can't earn a legal living wage and you still need to feed yourself and those who depend on you. When mainstream feminism fails to consider these options as viable, when it relies on the same old tropes rooted in respectability, it ignores that for many, a choice between starvation and crime isn't a choice. And I really liked how it kind of mentioned the lean-in messaging too, because I know, like, I felt like that was very much when we were like in college age, that was coming like, yeah, lean in. Yes. And it is we totally forget that some people are fighting just to make a living wage. They're taking care of themselves, family members, like not even just your children. You know, there's so many different you could be taking care of a sick family member or your parents and I thought that that was such a good point about feminism not considering these options or these different ways of life that so many people you know just around us have that it's so easy to ignore when you're not in that situation.
1: Yeah and I think that that's a very like telling message for everything that's going on with anti-blackness in this country and police brutality. Yes. And these issues these social justice issues that are coming up and being like oh there's a lot more to this than just looking at it through our lens and our lived experience that we need to be open to reading and seeing about others' lived experiences and how these social issues affect them. And I think that, yeah, even the quote from the beginning is that it's the movement meant to represent all women, but it often is centered on the ones who are already privileged. So I just really appreciated things that as privileged humans haven't had to think about, like food scarcity and access to all these basic human needs. And yeah, I would say that we can probably spend an entire episode on each chapter of the book because there was just so much to to dissect and get from this that <laughs> the, the perspective was uh, very eye opening for me like obviously as someone who has paid attention to human rights issues like I've definitely been aware of these things But it just gave me kind of more of that lens to look at them with a little bit closer. And I appreciated that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely think this is not a one and done type of book. Like, as I was reading it, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to read this like multiple times in my life to like continue digesting all of the information and to be able to really understand it and put it into action because at first it's like drinking from a fire hose. You're like unlearning every single thing. And I don't know about you, Stacia, but I was highlighting so many parts of my book that I finally just stopped highlighting because I was like, Lizzie, you have highlighted the entire, <laughs> the entire book. Entire <laughs> page. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: another quote that I pulled at, that was from the beginning just about feminism, which I feel like you were just kind of getting at is the hood taught me that feminism isn't just academic theory. It isn't a matter of saying the right words at the right time feminism is the work that you do and the people who you do it for who matter more than anything else and I thought that that was a really good point about it's not just the words that you say because I think it's very easy in the social media era to be like I'm a feminist look like I posted some memes
1: and I include everybody
0: (laughs) yeah totally and I think it is a good reminder in the social media age that like that's one facet of everything but There's a lot more work that we all need to be doing.
1: Yes. And just to drive this point home, because I have this quote at my fingertips, too, but I think it very much so relates to this, is that there's nothing feminist about having so many resources at your fingertips and choosing to be ignorant. Yeah, Nothing empowering or enlightening in deciding that intent trumps impact, especially when the consequences aren't going to be experienced by you, but will instead be experienced by someone from a marginalized community. And I think that if you are a white middle class female listening to this, that uh, that is was a really powerful takeaway message for me. And I know that a lot of the talk on Instagram and social media is about intent versus impact and just being really mindful of how our actions actually do impact and finding our space within the social justice work that we want to be doing that is going to be helpful and not harmful because I think it has been made very obvious that there's a lot of ways that white people show up in an attempt to be helpful that is not very helpful and so just being mindful of how we are showing up in these spaces and then understanding that like we do I know I have a ton of resources available to me that I Should and could be using to Mm -hmm. help uh, the cause as a whole, as opposed to just increasing my own privilege.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of that thing of like, oh, there's nothing on TV, but I have 600 channels. Like there, there is something there. We all have resources. It's just a matter of, are you finding time for them or are you spending three hours on TikTok? Lizzie. Um, Stacia. (laughs) (laughs) I just love it so much. I will
1: say TikTok has been very educational for me and I know it has been for you too. So no, it's, it's, I spent four hours on it yesterday and that's when I got really (laughs) depressed so I was like I need to be doing something else with my time I need to
0: not be on social media um so Sasha what did you like the best about this book if you had to pick just one I know this is a loaded question because we both really enjoyed the book but if you had to pick one thing
1: I would say one thing as a personal trainer and somebody that tries to help people live healthier and happier lives in a very like woo 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 White, well, in this way, um, but I'm I'm working yeah, on it. Same, same girl, same. <laughs> I found the part about access to food and food scarcity and health to be really, really eye opening and fascinating because one of the points that she made that was just like, oh my gosh, all the policy that we are putting into place is act like. None of it is actually informed by the people living these experiences. It's by us being like, well, I think this is probably what's going to be best. So an issue she brought up was the soda tax and how this was actually something that was incredibly problematic because it impacts low income poverty level people who don't have access to clean drinking water who have access to a grocery store where the juice may be expired and where soda is literally going to be the only option they have to drink liquid. And uh, that as a person in my position who has never had to deal with not having clean water it can seem like it makes sense. Like, oh, soda is bad. It has sugar and don't do that. And then she compares it to like, yeah, it's okay for you to go and have a cappuccino that has 120 grams or, or a frappuccino right. that frappuccino, has yeah. 120 grams of sugar when a can of soda has 45 or whatever. And that one is like demonized and the other is acceptable. And one affects poor people of color populations and the other is a white thing. <laughs>
0: Yes, I saw something really similar on Instagram last night after I had been reading this book. That was, it was like, we make fun of people who live in trailers and or RVs and tell them that they're lazy. But then all of these white millennials who are like going and living in their vans and living in tiny houses were like, wow, good for you. And I think it's very similar to the sugar argument that she made because I mean, how many times have you seen a bunch of high schoolers drinking Frappuccinos and we're like, "Oh, kids will be kids. But if it was, you know, other people drinking soda who maybe to your point, that's the only liquid that they're going to have, we would immediately turn to judgment.
1: Yeah, and that that was super eye-opening because I know for me, I've had I've grown a lot from especially dating someone who was in the health and fitness industry whose message was always move more and eat more vegetables. And I'm like, it's not that simple. And it always bothered me that that was the message that he constantly, constantly pounded into his client's head because, okay, a majority of his clients that is Sort of the situation. Like, right. The people that can afford his training are in a higher socioeconomic status. So, these socioeconomic issues don't impact them as highly. So, it might be that simple, but to then apply that all across the board yeah, and assume fair. that anybody that's not eating vegetables and not working out constantly is somehow lazy or they don't care about their life or their their livelihood or their health Mm -hmm. and have it be something that is a personal choice when it's not a personal choice. I feel like uh, I really appreciated her insight on that because that really drove the point home for me that I try to stress in my position that it's like, yeah, it's nice to tell people to do all these things, but not everybody is starting at that position.
0: Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think even this is like a little side tangent, but in the wellness world, like we see that a lot, right? Of like, you need to just get a little bit less sleep, you know, just wake up a little bit earlier. But yeah, maybe that person like is already getting the minimum sleep that they can be, you know, living on because of their jobs or their childcare. Like you just don't know people's situation. And I this definitely sparked for me a lot of the tropes we hear in the wellness world and the fitness world, like you're saying, are like starting from a baseline of at a certain level of assumed privilege. And it's like, oh yeah, that is just...
1: Not realistic for a lot of people. No. So that was one of the parts of the book that stood out for me that hit close to home for me because I'm just like, yes, as someone that is in this space, these are the issues that I need to be made aware of because this affects how I do my job and the message that I speak of and so I just really appreciate that perspective but what was your most favorite part?
0: Oh yeah I really liked um, it was about midway through the book there is a pretty large chunk on respectability politics and I had never really heard it articulated like that and I I think any woman no matter your status can relate to being policed by respectability politics but I hadn't really like known what it was so respectability politics if you also don't know what it is um, for those of you listening is basically just that idea of you have to be presenting yourself as super respectable and following these like random kind of like pieces of etiquette and ways of speaking, just these different things that are part of our culture that are sort of arbitrary. And then the rub is, and Mickey really dives into this in the book is like all of these people are being told to be respectable, be respectable. And then they meet all of those guidelines or follow that to a T and then they're still not being treated with respect. And I thought that that was so interesting because respectability politics can be so subtle. It's these like little nuances that we just don't think of, like how we speak and just random ways you might move your body or interact with the world. And we don't often think of them and how they're policed. But I really liked how Mickey brought it up and really pointed it out and how it relates to feminism, because also I think in feminism, we see that a lot, like we can yell as really privileged white women, but like, whoa, you need to like calm down to maybe women of color. And it just got me thinking a lot about all of the places in all of our lives that respectability politics show up and like, what is it really serving? It's really just to keep all of us quiet, (laughs) right? Like Mm -hmm. it's not actually serving any sort of greater good. And so that really jumped out to me and something that I keep like noticing it's kind of once those like once you see something you can't unsee it so now I'm just seeing it everywhere and it's been very fascinating
1: yeah and then the double standard with which everybody is held in order to be respectable like you said it I think this is a good intersection of sexism and racism because Mm -hmm. it's like okay a man can act this way as a cis white man can act this way and like a white woman can act this way and that like there's different status quo for each group of people. And it's like, wait, no, when I watched the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and I see him throwing a legitimate hissy fit and he's not being called out for that. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yet when a woman slightly raises her voice, it's like, oh, my God, calm down, calm down. (laughs) And It's like, are you on your period? "Yeah." Yeah. And it was like, oh, my gosh. I think that there is just like you said, that respectability was huge for me and that you won't be able to make your point heard. Or make it matter unless it is seen as something that falls within the line of respectable for who you are, as opposed to like general respectability. You articulated
0: that way better than no, I did. So definitely. thank you.
1: Because I was having a really hard time getting my words
0: out it's, Monday. Well, and I feel like I've been noticing it a lot in just like professionalism, like our standards of what's professional, I think, or where this has been jumping out to me a ton since I read the book of just like, yeah, we do have all of these weird like respectability kind of expectations in the working world that don't, you know, when you start to really look at some of these things that we all expect of each other, they don't actually benefit anything. They're just these arbitrary rules that
1: are to control people. Keep all of us in line or whatever,
0: but it's just
1: been on my mind a lot. Well, it's crazy based on that. I don't know if you heard this or if I talked to you about this, but if you Google professional haircuts for men, Mm -hmm. it is all white men. And if you Google unprofessional haircuts, it is all black men with either their natural hair or their hair styled in a way that is culturally appropriate for them. And I was like, Oh my gosh, even Google is racist. Like what the hell? Yeah. Oh, also though, sidebar
0: for those of you who have an iPhone, ask Siri to show you a photo of an idiot cuz it's really funny what <laughs> it pulls up. It's like some some programmer just had the time of their life doing that. But yeah, I mean, it's like I've seen a lot of photos of this lately, but different politicians who have just like crazy hair. Like how is this guy allowed to be out in the world? But then like, yeah, the expectations we have for like professional hair for women is like very styled. And then like our president, just as an example, uh, has like a comb over, his hair is all over the place. Like, can you imagine if a woman did that? It would be ridiculous.
1: And just even as I think almost a feminist issue is that in order for a woman to be seen and respected within the workplace, things like makeup and different things are required of you in order for you to show up as somebody that is professional and somebody that is respectable that like as women, we even have higher expectations put on us on our appearance in order to appear professional. Whereas like you said Professional, A man yeah. can show up literally disheveled like he rolled out of bed and people are like congratulations thank you for being here i I know like a guy
0: could wear the same suit multiple days and people are like whatever but if a woman repeats an outfit at like two public appearances people lose their mind and i also think something that's so interesting about like that is i don't know if you've ever gone into the depths of the internet where people are like stisha spent how much on that suit like she's a politician she shouldn't be spending taxpayer dollars but then like on the same hand if you wear something from like old navy or something like that they'll be like, my god now she's using like slave labor you know or like child labor and it's like that's another part of like policing women's bodies that you never hear conversations about how much like men are spending on their suits and their clothing but women are expected to be like getting perfect clothing that fits them well but not too well and is also like not too expensive but not like made by child labor it's crazy
1: but I also think it's funny with this now what I'm thinking is I'm like okay so this is still Almost a white feminist issue because this is assuming that somebody already has access to a workplace where these are going to be policies and things that they need to think about. And I'm just like, here we go.
0: I know. No, totally. I was thinking that as I was saying, I was like, just like thinking about the dollars that someone's spending on their clothes is such a privileged place to even be beginning. Yeah,
1: it's it's crazy.
0: So something that you had put in our question list, Tisha, that I loved is what feelings did this book evoke for you? Because like, I this is a pretty uncomfortable book, I think, for anybody to read, especially like white feminists who consider themselves pretty progressive because it just kind of rips everything apart. So how
1: did you feel when you were reading this? I feel (laughs) like I was very humbled and I am grateful again for the work that I've done because a lot of that has been to like disconnect myself from like, okay, this isn't personal. This is a learning opportunity. Like this isn't an attack on you specifically. This is just an opportunity to grow and do better. And so, like, I'm already approaching the book from that headspace. So I'm, like, happy that I have that because otherwise it probably would have been a difficult pill to swallow because she definitely doesn't shy away from being like, this is where this is failing and this is where you need to do better and being able to be, like, okay and be open to the message and to be open to what she has to say about the failings of mainstream white feminism. And so for me, I definitely... I felt humbled. And at the same time, I'm not going to lie, I felt incredibly overwhelmed. And I want to like talk to you about how to use what we've learned here for good, because definitely at the end of it, I was like, oh, my gosh, there is so much wrong with society and feeling really frustrated and overwhelmed by reading it because it's just like, oh, my God, think we have so far to go. And like, what are the real actual solutions? Because as much as I love money and policies going towards things to help put a Band-Aid on it, we need to be fixing Mm -hmm. the cause. We need to be putting our resources towards that as opposed to the Band-Aid on the issue. And so like, I just felt really fired up from a like, oh my gosh, things are really, really unfair, unjust, and uh, who am I to sit here and be like, well, life is good for me, because it is. This stuff literally has no effect on me, but that is something that was born completely of the privilege of the status that I was born into, and that is nothing that I earned. And uh, so I think it was just a lot of like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like each page I turned, it's like, oh God, there's another thing. Okay, yep, yep, oh God, like why? Yeah, Um, that's such a good point. So I felt really overwhelmed, so I hope we can um, take time to discuss how do we use this information and not let it be why the world is just pointless.
0: <laughs> totally. I also felt really overwhelmed. And when you said frustrated, like that was a big word that I had not at like the author and her like being very, very upfront with everything, yes. but I felt more frustrated of like, how am I 30 years old? And I'm just learning some of these things. Like I, I found myself feeling really frustrated with like, My college experience, my high school, just like all of these things where I was like, why did no one tell? Like, why haven't we been learning this? And like, how is this still happening? And yeah, feeling very overwhelmed. I do think I was reflecting as I was prepping this morning of like, I'm so glad that we read this like hard book as our June book and then talk about it because I do think that it's so important to be processing the information that way. Like, I can think of a lot of books that I've read and just been like, that was a lot of information. Moving on, you know, and I think like having someone to talk it over with or just like reflect, even if it's just in your journal or whatever is so important. But yeah, I think this is going to be one of those books that we'll just like always be coming back to. And, you know, in a year or two years, you'll be like, oh, I finally get what she was saying when she said X, Y, Z. Like it was, there was so much information and I felt really frustrated with myself for not knowing it and my position and also just
1: that the world is the way that it is I don't know it's a lot it's definitely a lot of a book but I really enjoyed reading it it is a lot and I would say I did find an interesting critique of the book that I wanted to share and I'll link the article in the show notes because it was written by a black woman and it was kind of criticizing who the book was written for because she was like this definitely isn't for black women like this is for white feminists and then basically being like I don't understand why you're even bothering because they're never going to show up. And I'm like, oh, OK, that's <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a little discouraging. But she made this really interesting point that I was like, oh, God, again, another hard pill to swallow. But I, I think it's, yeah, tell it's us. good. So she says the subtitle of the book is Notes from the Women That a Movement Forgot. But in the words of W.B. Dubois, a system cannot fail those it was never meant to protect. Feminism didn't forget black women. It was never intended for black women. Asking feminism to be effective and inclusive of most women, especially black women, is asking feminism to be quintessentially unfeminist. It's asking for the end of racism. How can a movement built on racism solve issues caused by racism? It could if its white members became actively anti-racist and were willing to completely unravel racial structures, their own movement included But in doing this, white women would be working against their own interests and they've proved for nearly four centuries that they are not willing to do this. And uh, are black women in the hood expected to wait another century while white women considered doing the work? If not, why devote an entire book to this topic? Mm. And so I read that and I was like, eh, like the idea that it was a movement that was never meant to protect the women that were forgotten about in it. That it was something for white women to increase their privilege as opposed to create access to that privilege for all.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think this is, this reminds me a lot of like, that that quote that's circling on the internet of like the system isn't broken like don't say the system's broken and that we need to like fix the system we need to like tear the system down and build a completely new system this isn't about like current things not working because like there's just one flaw. It's like they were never intended to work for this population. This population wasn't even taken into consideration.
1: And I think that that is the same message that for change on any type of level to happen, it's the same level of thinking isn't going to be what gets you to a different place. So like if if all of our racist policies are what got us here, like it's not going to be reforming those. Like we need to reimagine entirely different ways of doing this because we have seen that the way we're doing this isn't working.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So with that in mind, what's like one actionable thing if somebody's listening to this and they're like, okay, that book sounds great. Or maybe they read the book and they want like an actionable thing that they can start doing today what would you suggest that they do?
1: I, again, this is a completely uninformed opinion. but (laughs) Tell me, tell me. That's what podcasts are for. What came to my mind is that it would be something, and this goes back to something that Sophia Bush said, and she said to find your sacred rage, And to put your heart into your action and your activist work into that. And so I think that to break it down into something smaller is to find a topic or an issue that you're super passionate about. And then find out kind of how that intersects with racism, classism, Mm -hmm. sexism, and uh, perhaps there are organizations doing work to improve this situation. But just try and get involved in just starting out with one thing as opposed to like, thinking that you need to solve all issues That's that such feminism a addresses because that, like I said, I read the book and I felt incredibly overwhelmed and it made me not want to do anything. Yeah, But I also know that there's certain things that I am incredibly passionate about and that to putting my energy and my efforts and my focus into that can be something that would be a more worthwhile use of my energy than just staring at a list of a thousand million things that need to be done and being like, well, there's no point in even trying. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good point. So that would be my takeaway, but I'd be curious about yours.
0: Oof. I mean, I think you the point you made about like finding your niche within all of this is so great because I do think that it's easy to be like, feminism or anti-racism and then there's so much that we just freeze right rather than actually doing anything I think something else that I and I understand the irony of saying like verbally saying this on a podcast but uh that listen more than you're speaking I think especially as we unpack like really uncomfortable issues like this like obviously it's very helpful to talk it out with a friend but I do think just taking the time to listen you know or Rather than like, I see a lot of people posting these like novels that they've written out on Facebook. And it's like, that's great. We all process things our own way. But like, Maybe instead of doing that, we could be resharing helpful information from the voices that really need to be heard right now. So I think that's a challenge, obviously not when I'm talking on a podcast, but when I'm trying to educate myself is like, how can I listen and really find, you know, like this was an uncomfortable book. How can I be finding voices that are really different from mine or people who have a very different experience Mm -hmm. than I do, I think is what I would tell people to do. I
1: love that. I think that that is a perfect compliment that those two things combined are like really important things to keep in mind when unpacking these things and doing this kind of work. So I love that, Lizzie. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And I think it's really easy. Um, Some people from Station Ice hometown have been doing, have been posting about this, and it was really informative for me, but it's very easy right now for all of us as white people to be yelling what we've learned like well I read this book or I did this thing and like
1: um I saw it described as woke washing I was gonna make up white splaining because I'm like I hate mansplaining oh. and I was like so what would be the other thing I'm like it's white explaining it kind
0: of <laughs> um yeah it's like white splaining or like woke washing versus just like us you know it's like we all want to be like I read this article and now I'm fixed it's great and that actually doesn't help anything so I think just continuing to listen is really
1: helpful and hard to do. It's hugely important, but that's why we read these books because this is a different perspective than what we are being shown in mainstream feminism. And so it's important to surround ourselves with those types of things and to continue to listen to the voices of those who have far more experience than we do, because like you said, reading an article doesn't therefore make you an expert on the topic and the only person worthwhile speaking on it. But that's something that as uh, growing up in a culture where white people are given the platform and the microphone at all times and just you are worthy of being here. So speak on everything and understanding like, oh, actually, like, there are far more qualified people to speak on this and I'm going to let them do the do the work because they're doing it. So let's just show you. Here you go. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Right. And I do think like, and Mickey points this out in the book, but it's like, you know, feminine, feminism has been really important and really life changing for a lot of people. This isn't like to diminish that, but it's that quote that I know you have shared a lot of times. It's like, once you know better, You do better. So it's like we can still honor our own feminist experiences and our own like realizations and the ways feminism has helped us, but also be like, great, now that I have this information, I'm going to do better and demand better. I think a lot of people are really struggling with that, like grieving these systems or these things that they're now finding out are broken or just not built well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not even broken. And it's okay to be like that served me and was important to me, but now I know better and I know that it was not correct
1: yeah and I think that that's honestly kind of hard because I feel like that whole idea of holding space for our experiences while also understanding that there's more work to be done because for me I definitely feel the moments of where I like reflect on my experiences and I'm like oh my gosh like this was really traumatizing for me this was really hard for me this was like my struggle and being like well Stacia you didn't like actually struggle and so I have that that thought that comes that creeps in and I'm like okay no Stacia you're allowed to validate your feelings like this was your experience and you can speak on your experience mm-hmm. you speaking about your experience and the ways you've been discriminated against as a woman or ways you've experienced trauma as a woman like those are still very valid yes it's just one of those things we're like making space for both because I know I read these other stories and I'm just like oh my gosh imagine having that trauma and then also having a society that's traumatizing you on a daily basis. And I'm just like... All the time, oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the joys of being a human
0: right now. I know. It's a lot, but that's why we continue to have these conversations and to educate ourselves. Do you have any last Thoughts,
1: realizations, anything from the book that really jumped out at you. So this is actually not related from the book. And I'm pretty sure you posted this to your Instagram stories. But I really appreciated (laughs) this quote. Yeah. Well, it's from Rachel Cargill, who's like, I love her. She is definitely one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram because she does not worry about... (laughs) respectability
0: in the sense like she's not afraid yeah she's
1: not afraid to speak her mind and her truth and it's a beautiful thing to see and it's also interesting to see how many people it triggers because it's like oh yes she makes good examples of when people are messing up in this work and I think that that's important I don't think we need to cancel people but I think we need to hold people accountable and show them how they can do better And she does a great job of doing that. But she had a quote that I just think as a woman was a nice quote to read, regardless of your class, race, and whatever your experiences have been. It was a very beautiful summation. So what she wrote... I think one of the biggest enlightenments we can have as young women is the very truth that happiness, success, and fulfillment aren't destinations, that there won't be an arrival nor a sudden and dramatic shift that signifies our place as having made it. We are ever-changing, daily, like the best of our grandmother's recipes. We are simmering in our being, getting better, moment by moment, ingredients of ourselves constantly being stirred in, sifted out. New interests, bolder creativity, perhaps a shift in value or a change of heart. How unfair to make the future version of yourself contingent only on today's set of understandings and aspirations. How rude to divine her happiness by only what brings you joy today. And I just really thought that that was a beautiful way to kind of paint how you might approach this work in the sense that like, okay, we we have today and we have today's sets of understandings and aspirations. But we're also learning and growing and finding out new information Mm -hmm. and learning to sift that in while sifting out other things and that we are these fluid beings that are ever changing and that even if we held these certain beliefs before, there's space to change and grow and learn. And I just really appreciated her post on that. So I'll link up her Instagram in the show notes. But that was a nice little summary for me after reading this book and seeing that quote. I was like, okay, yes, we can do this. (laughs) It's going to be okay. Yeah. And I I love
0: Rachel Cargill. I mean, for so many reasons, but her Instagram account is one of those accounts that I feel like every time I go to, I learn so much. And she actually is one of the few accounts that like going to the comments has been really informative because like... Her followers back her the fuck up and like, they're just so smart and it's, yeah, it's a really great page, especially if you're like ready to do this work. So
1: yes, I couldn't recommend it any more than just saying if there's one person you follow, have it be her because it's like (laughs) incredible.
0: (laughs) Unfollow us, go follow her. Yeah, she's amazing. She's amazing and she just like, I'm sure you've seen this Stacia, but she'll like, rip apart people's Instagram posts. Like she'll like screenshot a comment or she'll screenshot a post and she'll like red ink, like cross things out, highlight things and basically like break down why certain arguments or messages are problematic. And it's been so eye-opening. And also, yeah, she does not give a fuck about whether people like her or not, which is just so inspiring.
1: Yeah, I, she really is an inspiration to me when I see how she gets shit done, like when her hair wasn't done to the standard with which it should have been done. I don't know if you saw her Instagram stories, how she went to a dry bar and got a blowout and they just totally botched oh, it. Oh yeah,
0: they fucked up her hair, yeah. And
1: she calls out the company and is like, what are you doing to train your the people that work for you to be able to handle all types of hair? Because this is unacceptable. And like, as somebody who has been extremely timid her entire life, I'm like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Imagine being able to stand up for yourself that much. Like that is so cool. That like gives me chills. I'm like, okay, you can do this. Stacia goals. You can totally do it. Stacia, we will all back you up. She does not apologize for existing. And I'm like, we need more women that don't apologize for existing. Totally. I mean, it goes back to the respectability thing,
0: guys. This like totally blew my mind because I just hadn't heard it articulated like that. It's like Stacia saying, I was like, Oh my God, respectability politics are killing all of us. Like we are all just like trying so hard to be respectable. And for what? Yeah.
1: It doesn't get us anywhere further necessarily. It's like, it seems to be when we like kick and screw, like it's been shown that the peaceful way hasn't really worked for a lot of different groups. So it's like, you know what? Doing the respectable thing doesn't get anybody's fucking attention. (laughs)
0: Nope, cool. Well, if we don't have any final thoughts to share about our book club, uh, read, thank you guys so much for joining us. And as a reminder, you can always jump in and read this anytime that you want. You don't have to be reading it in June, 2020. And our next book club read is Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Elizabeth Gilbert. And she is the author of Eat, Pray, Love that you guys probably have heard of and or seen the movie very white people centric but a good just brainless movie if you need something to watch and we're so excited to uh to be reading it with you guys so July 2020 that will be our book club read you're welcome to read along with us we'll link it in the show notes and please send us any thoughts or questions that you have on the book
1: and any recommendations for future books we are totally open to those as well so if you have like a book that you're dying for us to talk about definitely let us know us know because we love hearing your suggestions. We love
0: hearing your guys' suggestions and also, you know, the intention is this is a community book club. So if our community has a book that you guys want to read, let's read that book.
1: Let's do it. Deisha, what's your yay for the day?
0: Oh my goodness. It's always such a
1: loaded question, but not
0: actually. I know. <laughs> Especially right now. It's like, hey, there's a global pandemic and a civil rights movement. So what are you like stoked about? Yeah,
1: it's a, it's a little interesting. I would say it's, I, I feel like my yay for the day relates to something that happened a while back but as in like a few days ago so it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. my yay for this day (laughs) but it's something that I have been experiencing feeling gratitude for every day since it happened so it's something that just has been feel good feelings and it was that I was able to go kayaking with my good friend (gasps) Callie shout out you're listening hi Callie (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so it's something we've been wanting to do since I've been back. And so it was a nice day the other day. And we had both been feeling like pretty overwhelmed with everything that's been going on um, compounded by. And I like know when we say everything going on, it is more than just the anti-blackness and police brutality it is also the pandemic. So naming everything that's going mm-hmm. on, like it is just multiple layers of everything. It's a lot. That is existing in this world. And so uh, we were both feeling a little overwhelmed. Then we went kayaking for an hour and a half and we got to see a bald eagle just like chilling on the beach (gasps) and we like paddled up super close to him and he was just like hanging out. And so that was fun. And it was just really relaxing to do a normal activity while also being social because I feel like any amount of being social has been like sitting outside distanced from people. And so while we were still distanced from each other, there was something just really nice about uh, doing a normal activity and chatting. Like it didn't it was a space where you could act like there wasn't a global pandemic.
0: Right. Like you wouldn't be super close to her
1: anyway, as you would be kayaking. So it's just like uh, it felt like the first sense of just like doing something That I didn't have to be stressing out even though we were talking about everything going on. It was still nice to like (laughs) just have some space to just do an activity and not be thinking and overwhelmed about oh my gosh am I keeping a distance is this safe is this acceptable so yeah that sounds so lovely just a nice hour and a half break from reality so gotta love and it kayaking is hard <laughs> kayaking yes, is so a hard workout it was a good workout so that was my yay for the day and I would love to hear yours fun
0: yeah I um also still in a pandemic, all of these things, you know, we've all been stuck in our homes, which, you know, I'm very lucky to have a roof over my head and all of those things. But we have all been going a little stir crazy here at our house. And Dan's grandpa way back when built this cabin in the woods in the Olympic Peninsula. It just got Wi-Fi, <laughs> which was a big development. So we went and stayed there for just about five days. And it was really nice to just be somewhere else wow. and Heck kind yeah. of like you were saying it's like even though it was still a pandemic like when you're in the woods and like in a cabin like you just you never really feel like you're part of everything going on in the world anyway and so it was nice to just be out there and just kind of decompress a little bit and you know there was a wi-fi but I it's a beautiful spot so I was trying not to be on my computer or my phone anymore than I had to be and it was just really relaxing so It was nice to have a change of scenery. I'm like
1: literally sitting here daydreaming now that you said that. And I'm like, uh, so like, do they accept uh, stragglers?
0: (laughs) Anytime. (laughs) Also, you are in like the most beautiful cabin right now. But I know what you mean. It's just nice to have like a, you know, I think we've all been, not all of us, but the majority of us have been stuck in our houses for months now with the same people, same views, same things around you. And it was just nice to go anywhere different for a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, good for you I'm very happy thank for you. you and now I'm like okay that's my goal for <laughs> I actually was like looking up hikes with my sister that yeah. I'm going to try and do so I'll uh, I'll let you know on those too if we make yeah, any yeah let plans. me know and guys send us
0: do it and if you guys are in the Pacific Northwest send us your hiking recommendations maybe we could have like a distanced hike meetup yeah. our first meetup Let's do it. that'd be super fun <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening thank you for rating reviewing and subscribing it means so so much to us we appreciate you so much and stacia you want to take it away
1: yeah we love you we care about you thank you for showing up and we will see you next time and in the meantime don't forget hey you got this